I'm visiting all 30 stadiums in one season to uncover the hidden stories that make baseball America's pastime. Rounding third with Manish Jane. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rounding Third with Manish Jane. Today's episode, the Los Angeles Dodgers and Dodger Stadium. I have a packed episode for you today, starting with two different interviews that I did, one with a gentleman who was in attendance in 1962, the first year that this lovely stadium was in existence, and a, uh, another one with a family from Las Vegas who makes the pilgrimage every single season to catch at least one game at Dodger Stadium. I also have another brief story about my wonderful mother who joined me for this leg of uh, the tour, as well as just my thoughts on the city of L.A., because for those of you who listen to my podcast about the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and Angel Stadium, you may have gotten the impression that I was severely disappointed in my experience at Angel Stadium, more specifically with the fans that were sitting around me. Now, luckily, the Southern California fan base redeemed themselves in a big, bad way because the environment at Dodger Stadium was electric. It was so much fun. It, it just it completely changed my perception of what it is to be a California baseball fan. So as I mentioned earlier, this is the third oldest ballpark in America. And because of that, there aren't a lot of bells and whistles. You know, when you walk around the stadium, you don't really see a lot of the modern amenities, the kids' fun zones, the batting cages, the speed pitches, the video game area, the cell phone charging station, whatever it is that that is included in all the modern ballparks doesn't exist in L.A. And to be honest with you, it adds to its charm. Obviously, one of the things that I've loved about doing this tour this summer is that every single ballpark is so unbelievably unique and different that you can never really have the same experience twice. While a lot of the stadiums do have similar amenities, when you come to a ballpark like a Dodger Stadium that really has nothing but the baseball on the field, it's a refreshing change of pace. You know, when you walk around, you're smelling baseball you're feeling baseball, you're hearing baseball, you're seeing baseball. It is an exclusively baseball experience. And while I thought that may not be for everybody, you know, my brain, I thought, how are they going to be able to fill such a large stadium night in and night out when all they really have is baseball? I was pleasantly surprised at how many fans I saw, not only in the seats, but staying in their seats until the final out. Now, to be fair, it was a Friday night, The Dodgers ace, Clayton Kershaw, was on the mound. It was a gorgeous night. There was a fireworks show after the game. And the Dodgers were heating up a little bit in the standings. So it was the perfect storm to bring everybody out to the ballpark. But you know what? I've been in a lot of stadiums with relatively similar circumstances. And the energy is not the same. The excitement level isn't the same. You might be able to pack the ballpark, but the buzz in the stadium is not the same. At Dodger Stadium, you could feel the hope in the air. You could feel the excitement in the air. You could feel the fans ready to explode. And by the end of the night, Kershaw gave them a reason to. Now, I've been lucky enough to watch Justin Verlander pitch for the entirety of his career in a Tigers uniform. And for you Dodger fans out there, 
I just got to tell you, you need to appreciate what you're saying because Clayton Kershaw is some kind of special. I know. Shocking. Sorry. That was pretty much the dumbest thing I could have said. Of course he is. That's that's not saying anything new or, or unique. Uh, I, I've gotten a chance to see Kershaw pitch a couple of times uh, now on this tour, and every time I've seen him, he just he just goes out there and throws strikes, and and it's it's kind of a masterful performance to see. Anytime he's on the mound, I know it's going to be a quick game. Not just because he doesn't give up a lot of hits, or or you know because uh, he he works quickly. It's just there's a rhythm that he gets into that is almost mesmerizing. When you watch it live, and you're not a slave to the endless camera cuts and commercial breaks and everything that you're you know you see on television you know just watching him get into his motion throw it just I, I said, there, there's, there's a rhythm to it that is very captivating and a lot of fun to watch so obviously the entire crowd is going nuts to see him throw yet another gem but here's a team that spent the first half of the season really struggling you know, they were underperforming. Here was a squad that, that the ownership had spent hundreds of millions of dollars to bring in new, new players, and nobody was living up to their potential, except for Kershaw, obviously. And to see how the fans didn't give up on this team and how the fans still came out and still made some noise, and once again, what's something that I saw in Oakland, willing their team to, to win, I give a lot of credit to this Los Angeles fan base. I know that's not you know, something that you hear very often. And a lot of people like to to trash the West Coast fans of baseball. But my experience thus far, aside from that little hiccup at, at uh, Angel Stadium, has been really quite fun. You know, watching a game in San Francisco and in Oakland, even in San Diego, you know, with a squad that doesn't really have much to play for these days. They love their baseball out West. As a man who spent the entirety of my life living in the Midwest and on the East Coast, I think it is finally time for me to admit and say out loud, yes, fans of West Coast baseball, there is an East Coast bias when it comes to reporting, at least on the sport of baseball. Yes, there are some intense fans in places like New York and Boston and Philly or Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis. Of course, you're going to have crazy fans everywhere, but... I don't know, maybe it's a three-hour time difference. I don't know what it is. We seem to forget about you guys out here on the West Coast. So let me at least be one to say your fans are just as passionate about this game and deserve just as much media attention as anybody out East. In fact, the one thing that I will admit to, which is the best-kept secret of you guys out here in the Pacific time zone, is 10 a.m. baseball. It was crazy that, you know, for the last couple of weeks here, I get to wake up in the morning and, and my Tigers are playing at 10 o'clock in the morning. And by 10 o'clock at night, all the games are done. There's no more waiting up till 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to catch that late, you know, West Coast game. You guys really know how to watch your sports out here. So for all of us East Coasters, we're really missing out. It's, it's quite a way to live uh, with 10 a.m. baseball. But now it's going to bring us to the first of two interviews that I did uh, at the ballpark. This first one is with a gentleman that I met sitting next to me, actually, by the name of Richard Price. A really nice guy. We ended up having a great chat the entire, pretty much the entire game. Uh, but he had told me some great stories about coming to a game at Dodger Stadium in 1962, the year that it opened. 
So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Richard and this brief little chat that I had with him. And then uh, afterwards, come on back and I'll share with you a story about going to this game with my mom, which was quite the unique experience. Enjoy. All right, so I'm sitting here inside Dodger Stadium with Richard Price, P-R-I-C-E. All right, Richard, so we were just chatting a little bit, and uh, I hear that you were actually at Dodger Stadium for the inaugural season, so I've got to hear some great stories about 1962 here in L.A. Well, I had just turned eight years old, so this was for my eighth birthday. My mom and dad took me here. We sat way up at the top in the nosebleed seats in general admission. Those were $1.50 a seat back then, and uh, it was August 12th. It was a blazing hot day in the, in the sun, and you... You can't see a thing from up there, but uh, but I have fond memories of the game. It was my my first time at Dodger Stadium, but it had just opened uh, that April, so it was a brand new stadium. And by the way, I wasn't seeing the Dodgers. I was it was the Angel game, Angels and White Sox. Oh, okay. The Angels shared the stadium with the Dodgers until they got their own stadium in Anaheim in like 1965, I think it was. So it was actually an Angels game I was at. So how, but did you, were you able to catch a Dodgers game that year here at the stadium as well? No? Okay, so when was the first time that you caught an actual Dodgers game? That would be a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know that uh, in the early late 60s and early 70s, my father had a friend named Barney, Barney McDevitt. He was an old man, lived up in the Hollywood Hills, who had season tickets in the loge level right behind us over here. And uh, he would need a ride to the game and uh, very frequently. And so in 1970, I went to a quarter of their home schedule. He'd call me up after school. I was in high school, and uh, he needed wheels to get here, and he gave me a free ticket, so it was a great deal for me. And so I would go to all sorts of uh, uh, the, the night games on weekdays, taking old Barney McDevitt here. And the Dodgers stunk back then. I mean, it was, they had a terrible club in the late 60s and early 70s. But, uh, and the stadium was as empty as you've ever seen it, usually. Typically, they would have crowds of 15,000 people. You never see that few here anymore. But that was a typical for like a Wednesday night game, uh, you know. But uh, so I, I used to spend a lot of time here, uh, up there. And now, nowadays, I've got uh, season tickets down here on the first base side instead of the third base side. And so I come to a few games a year with those, and I have friends, and we distribute them because now it's costs about 150 bucks a game to come here for a pair of seats so uh, uh, I, I only come for a few games and but uh, the stadium uh, you know used to be no advertisements in the outfield no adver- all used to have was the Union 76 signs up above the two scoreboards and that was it and as time has gone on I guess all stadiums do all the advertising everywhere now hold on one second oh we got a double play right there Turning two behind Clayton Kershaw. The Dodgers defense playing well. Sorry, and so we're back after that. So um, you were talking about the uh, uh, no advertising, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, in fact, when the stadium first opened, one of the big controversies here was uh, Walter O'Malley forgot to put in drinking fountains. And so that was the big controversy in 1962, and they finally installed drinking fountains. I don't know if they have them anymore because now we got bottled water. But it was all very, very sparse. Uh, uh, the idea of having the stadium so separate from the, the surrounding neighborhood was uh, sort of a 1960s thing. And now they put it more back in the, in the neighborhoods. So they, they keep talking about uh, 
potentially, you know, getting rid of Dodger Stadium, but, you know, I, I think that would be a terrible mistake. This oh, I agree with you. It's a beautiful place, and I think L.A. pretty much still loves this stadium. No, this is an absolutely beautiful park. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's an old park, and it's something that, you know, when you see what's happened with Fenway and with Wrigley and the reverence that, that people have, even non-baseball fans now are making pilgrimage to go check that out. Dodger Stadium is right next to, right we're, next we're in the, line. We're the third oldest. Exactly. Now, and so, so I don't want to. I, nothing breaks my heart more. Like I said, I mean, we were talking a little bit earlier. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not ashamed to admit it. I shed a tear when Tiger Stadium closed down, and believe me, when they tore it down, that devastated me. So I mean, especially since you've got memories coming right. here when you're eight years old, I would never want to take well, that away from you. Exactly. Uh, they've they've done things to try to modernize it with uh, they have suites now sure and that's okay uh, which, look, which you can used to be the loge level so i mean it worked out they were able to retrofit the stadium without tearing it down exactly no look renovate all you want do whatever you want you know i saw you got the new scoreboard this year which yep. is great and that's fantastic but leave it in the, i want the footprint of the stadium needs to stay here for the rest of time yeah, and the outside footprint is the same now inside about 10 years ago when mccourt took over all these seats down here, these boxes, didn't used to be here. We had uh, just about the biggest area of foul territory of any stadium. Yeah, I remember seeing pictures of that, actually. Yeah, and so now they've got these seats. And, and of course, that caused a big controversy for all the people who had season tickets from 1962. And they, <laughs> they had seats that were up front. And now, all of a sudden, they're putting a bunch of seats in front of those. And they charged such ridiculous amounts of money. Oh, yeah. There were some stories of the guys who couldn't afford to upgrade their seats. And suddenly, they're not in front anymore. So. But they, they did a, a good job, I think, in retrofitting it for modern times. And uh, hopefully that means they're not going to tear it down. No, absolutely. So, all right, if you could just give me, uh, we're going to wrap this up pretty quickly, but I just wanted to get a couple of your kind of just favorite memories that stick out to you over your entire lifetime of just, you know, coming here and, and seeing a game at Dodger Stadium. Just what is quintessentially L.A. baseball? Okay, well, on, um, I think it was June 29th, 1991, if I'm remembering correctly. A uh, friend of mine wanted to get tickets for a game, so I went with them and we picked up tickets here. We chose June 29th, came with two little teeny kids, and um, they said, well, the kids may not last the whole game, so you'll mind if we leave early. And of course, Dodger fans are known for leaving early. And I said, hey, as long as there's a lot like a no-hitter or something going, sure, no problem. That was the night of Fernando Valenzuela's no-hitter. The kids totally lost it, and I refused to let them leave. <laughs> so I got Good to father, see, good I job. Saw, I saw Fernando's no-hitter here. Um, so that was probably the one, one of my good memories. I certainly have memories, 1965 and 1966, of seeing Sandy Koufax pitching here. Those I, that, I will never forget that. So those, those are the biggies, I guess. Uh, hold on one second. We are saluting the, uh, the troops right now. All right. Um, okay. So, and, and another fun set of games was in high school. They had something called A Student Night. So one of the one of the rewards they'd give us in high school is they they got a block of seats up in the reserve section. Terrible seats, but if you got enough A's, you'd get free tickets to the Dodger game. And so I'd come with all my friends and stuff. So that was back in 1969, 1970, 71. That is awesome. All right. So any last words about LA baseball? You said you know you guys got a bit of a reputation for leaving early. So is there something you want to say to kind of? Uh, uh, <laughs> defend your, your 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 city here 
Well, gosh, that's, uh, you know, they haven't solved that problem, unfortunately, with the lack of public transportation. I guess one thing they're doing tonight with fireworks night, they are trying to solve that. It gives you a reason to stay to the end of the game so you can see the fireworks. But uh, Dodger fans, you know, we, we're always way up there in attendance uh, among all the major league teams. So even though we have a, a reputation as being fair-weathered fans who leave early in the game, um, I think we've got a good set of fans, and uh, it's always fun to come to the stadium and, and meet, meet folks like you. Well, and I will attest, even though I'm coming from out of town, so I will be the one that's, that's the voice of reason here. <laughs> the traffic here is ludicrous, and I, I had a bit of a heart attack when I saw the parking situation here. In You know what you got is a Friday night game in the summer with, uh -huh. with a, a Kershaw pitching uh -huh. uh, and, and a team that's in first place. So, you know, we've got... It's the perfect storm. It's yeah, the perfect storm exactly. to, to be here until 3 o'clock in the morning. So that's all right. We'll just all have fun and party together. All right, well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed my brief little chat there with Richard. And like me, I hope now you can't get the sound of organ music out of your head. That is one thing that I absolutely adore about many of the ballparks that I've visited is that they still employ a live organist uh, on staff, which if I had my druthers, all 30 ballparks would have a live organist on staff for all 81 home games. Now, I do have to make a quick correction about something that I said at the end of that interview, and that is in regards to the Los Angeles traffic. Now, I conducted that interview during the game before I had ever really experienced a post-game Dodger traffic jam. And I have to say, now this is just my own personal experience, and this may have been a one in, one in a million type of experience, but from the time I left the stadium to the time I reached the hotel that my mother and I were staying at, it took us about 20 minutes door to door. No joke. It was one of the quickest drives I've had. The, yes, there were a lot of cars, but it was very well managed, and there was a great line that just kept on constantly moving. Now, it could be the fact that I had gotten to the game very, very early, so I had a great parking spot. That absolutely may factor into it. Maybe if I was a little bit deeper in line, it would have taken me a little bit longer. But you know what? If traffic is what you're concerned about, all you got to do is get to the game just a little bit earlier and you'll set yourself up for a nice, easy exit after the game. So for those of you who listened to my podcast about the Seattle Mariners and Safeco Field, you heard all about what my mother has done for me in these last couple of days. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, I highly recommend you stop listening to this right now, jump over, listen to that episode, and come on right back, because some of this might not make sense if you didn't hear that story. Uh, the truncated version is, I guess, that I got sick, my mom flew out from Michigan to Seattle to take care of me, drove with me from Seattle to LA, then drove with me from LA to Minnesota. It was a wild, crazy, ridiculous time, and it's just, it's in the middle of this, this surreal summer of mine, it got even more amazing when I got the chance to spend 50 hours with my mom, which is probably more time than I've spent with just her one-on-one in maybe 12 years. I speak much more eloquently on the subject in the previous podcast. But so my mom, flying all the way out from Michigan, originally she had said that she wasn't going to go to the game with me. 
She said that she knew that I had my own routine. I had the things I needed to get done. I had my work I had to do. And she didn't want to get in my way, which, I mean, is just, oh, God, the the sweetest thing I'd ever heard and and also the most heartbreaking thing that in her mind, she was just going to fly from Michigan to Seattle and then drive with me for 4,000 miles, you know, 50 hours in the car, but not experience any actual baseball. In her mind, all she wanted to do was help out her son. So for that, not that I didn't already love her with all of my heart before this, but as I mentioned in the previous podcast, she cemented herself in the Mom Hall of Fame, whatever you want to call it. I win, you all lose. I've got the best mom on the planet. But I was able to bring my mom to a game at Dodger Stadium. And I couldn't have picked a better stadium to bring my mom to because the seats we got allowed us to do a very quintessential Los Angeles experience, and that was Celebrity Watch. Who boy, do the celebrities like to come out to the Dodgers game, especially on a Friday night when Clayton Kershaw is on the mound. My mom and I hanging out behind home plate, just kind of sitting there watching the pregame festivities, and all of a sudden my mom points and says, oh my goodness, there's Rob Reiner. She's right. There's Rob Reiner. Next to him, George Lopez. Over there, oh, there's Jason Bateman. Oh, look, there's Keith Olbermann. Of course, my favorite, there's Magic Johnson. Sure, he's the owner of the Dodgers, so, you know, that's kind of cheating. But still, Magic was in attendance, and that was a pretty cool thing to see. There was also Eric Stone Street and Brian Cranston throughout the first pitch. And I mean, just the, the list goes on and on. It is... If you want to see celebrities, forget going to Hollywood Boulevard or whatever the, I don't even know what the, the cool people watching places are in, in LA, it's Dodger Stadium on a Friday night. That's where you got to go. The one thing that really stuck out to me though, which was, was fascinating, was watching all of these celebrities and how in awe of magic they all were. You know, you'd think at a certain point, once you reach some level of fame, you know, a level like a, a Keith Olbermann or, or, you know, forget Olbermann, a, a Rob Reiner, who's been around for, for decades. But when you see him going over to talk to Magic and getting his picture taken with Magic and laughing at the, and really trying to impress Magic, it really proved to me how no matter who you are, we all put athletes on a special type of pedestal. You know, some people like to look up to actors or musicians or whoever it may be in the entertainment field, but we all seem to have a same, the same level of, of, of reverence towards the legends of, of the game. You know, there's just something truly unique about what an athlete can do, where I figure, you know, even though it, it, it's illogical, I think most people think, I could probably act if I had to. You know, I'm, I'm, I've lied before. I'm, I'm sure I could do it. But being a professional athlete is something that, you know, very, very young, most of us realize it's just never going to happen for us. The delusions of grandeur that make us all believe that we could be actors is, is much more obtainable than the delusions that we could ever pick up a, a baseball bat and hit a major league fastball or sink a basket in an NBA finals game or do any number of physically strenuous activity. And before I move on, I want to quickly say, because I know that if my mom does listen to this, she might get a little upset with me if I make her sound like all she was doing was watching celebrities. She genuinely was enjoying the game as well. 
Uh, she's not someone who is, you know, a giant baseball fan. She doesn't really watch it too much on TV, but I've gone to games with her before and she's always said that she liked watching sports through my eyes, which I've always thought was some kind of special bond that her and I have had together. But she was telling me how much she really enjoyed going to this game and how she hadn't been to a baseball game in, in years and how she had forgotten how much fun it is to kind of be in that live experience. And even for someone who may not necessarily follow the sport on, forget a day-to-day level, even a season-to-season level, she really does not follow it at all. Showing up to the ballpark is something that she says she could do pretty much anytime. Now, I know I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that I was going to touch on my experience eating a Dodger dog for the first time in my life, but uh, I just noticed how long this episode is, and I've still got one more interview to share with you. So in an attempt to keep the running time of this podcast at some type of manageable level, I'm just going to refer you to my post on the matter at roundingthird.net. If you check out the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, entry on the website, you'll hear all of my thoughts on the Dodger dog. I'm also beginning to realize that I am terrible at transitions. You'll have to forgive me and my crazily ADHD brain, but you're just going to have to jump from topic to topic with me because now it's time for me to introduce you to a family that I met while waiting in line to enter the stadium. Dodger Stadium is a bit unique in the sense that not only do their gates not open until 5 o'clock, their parking lot actually does not open until 5 o'clock. So what happens is you get a long, 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 long line of cars just parked outside of the gates and people kind of doing a pre-tailgating to the tailgating that are going to do at the parking lot in the middle of the street, basically. So this allowed me to walk up and down the cars and chat with several different people until I finally met this family from Las Vegas. They drive in at least once a year to catch a game at Dodger Stadium. And I ended up chatting with the mom, the dad, and the young daughter who had some interesting views on why she loves baseball and how modern technology has helped to teach a younger generation how the game is actually played. So I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you in a couple of minutes on the other side of this interview. I'm standing in the, uh, I guess we're just going to call it the, the converted parking lot here outside of uh, uh, Dodger Stadium. The gates don't open until 510, so everyone's just kind of hanging out in their cars. But I'm here with uh, Luis Olmos and Misty Olmos. So Luis and Misty, you guys are both diehard Dodger fans, have been your entire life, but you live in Vegas. So uh, how often do you get a chance to, to come out to the ballpark here? Well, what it goes down to, because my daughter plays uh, once, uh, not once a year, but we come down here trying to make a, a game once a year because she's in traveling ball. And obviously a lot of the softball talent is in California, so we always come down here for it. So for sure, once a year we have to make it. Anything above that is just to be on and above uh, our ex- expectations uh, for uh, just being a Dodger fan. So I want to get a, you know, a couple of brief stories about what kind of brought you to baseball and more specifically the Dodgers, you know, when you guys were kids or, if, you know, if you came to it a little bit later in life, just what brought you to the Dodger Blue? Well, from uh, myself, uh, born and raised in uh, Commerce, uh, California, to where uh, the older brothers, everybody was a Dodger fan. So basically I was bred, I was bred a Dodger fan from the get-go, nothing but Dodger Blue. 
Um, my wife here, uh, do you want me to tell it or you no, want to say it? No, no, I actually used to come with my mom for Mother's Day every year. That's so, awesome. Yeah, no, so we grew up coming here. I had the, what are the, the flags called in my the room? Pen and every, penance. The penance in my room. Yeah, every Mother's Day, my if they were at home, my mom's boyfriend would bring us for Mother's Day. So I grew up coming out here for Mother's Day. You know what, no disrespect, but I'm gonna focus on her for a minute because that makes me super, so one of the things, that, no, because one of the things that I've been trying to find at all the ballparks is more women who are coming to the ballpark and not just coming because their husbands or their boyfriends or their sons are interested. But the fact that you came with your mom is something that really touches me. That That is something that, you know, so you guys bonded over, over the game of baseball. Yeah. Yeah, no, I bonded over it. Um, I didn't know too much. She wasn't talking to me, but, you know, we always had that Mother's Day thing, so it was our thing. No, and look, yeah. as long as you're inside the park, that's all that matters. You don't need to, look, you can leave the nerdy stuff to people like me. Yeah. I, I'll sit there with my little yeah. scorecard. As long as you're just there enjoying the ball game, yeah. that's all I ask for. No, I totally did. I sat with my mom. We enjoyed buying stuff, watching the games, just chilling like that, you know, getting our little pink bats, <laughs> waiting for seventh inning in, uh, when they would sell the little bats. Remember that, babe? Selling the bats after seventh inning because you used to be able to, yeah. yeah, just go in there and chilling with my mom. That's it. I mean, that's awesome. I didn't really know the game then, though. You know, I never really paid attention to the game. He's the one that kind of introduced the game to me. So, so now, did he teach you the game as well? or? Yes, I know the game because of him. So That yeah. is beautiful, man. I really like to hear that. Of it. 17 years. Yeah. That is that is absolutely beautiful. That really warms my heart because you know it, nothing kills me more when I see a husband or a boyfriend drag their poor girlfriend or husband or, or a wife and just make them sit there and not tell them anything and you know and talk down to them and act like you know this baseball is my thing. So the fact that you were able to bring her into this now you guys come together and you're duck, you know decked out in your Dodger gear and you're decked out in your Dodger gear. That really is awesome. Yeah. No, we love it. Once in once in a once a year we got to hit it up. Don't yeah, no, it's uh, uh, with, the, with, the, with the game itself and whatnot and trying to uh, breed in uh, the new ones uh, coming up too. Like uh, Marissa, she's a, a diehard softball, baseball to where the point to we pretty much learn the game uh, thanks to TiVo and stopping the games and situations like she's a catcher, outfielder, and it's like, hey, what pitch are you going to do here? You could pause and go to the point to where she understands and realizes that uh, what are these professional pitchers going to be throwing next and the point to where she's like, what are you guys doing? You know, we've all been to that point to it's like, what are they thinking? And for her at a young age to be doing the same thing, it's like, because you're studying it, you're learning it. You're not just doing it to these, become a fan. You're two. doing it because, uh, you know what, it, uh, you uh, appreciate the game. And that's, that's yeah. that goes huge. All right, hold on. So which one is your daughter first? This, this one right here. This is Marissa. She's okay. her other diehard fan. Her, these are teammates. But they both want to be sports trainers for the Dodgers. Okay, well, we'll get to you in a second. Yeah. But so uh, so do you mind if I, I speak no, to you here for a minute? Sure. All right, so uh, what is your name? Marissa. Marissa? All right, so you play baseball right now? I play softball. Fastball. You play fastball or softball? So this is something that I was talking to another friend of mine about. You know, softball is such a special, unique completely different game and it, nothing frustrates me more when I see some of my idiot buddies thinking that softball is some less than sport or that they can play because I've tried to throw a softball fast pitch and I look like an idiot like I cannot get that anywhere near the rotation that I'm sure you can get so what do you you know is, is softball something that you are drawn to or is it because at a certain point they kind of stopped letting you play Little League um I was just I've always loved playing baseball or just watching the game it just always was a sport that I wanted to play, that I wanted to learn. I just loved everything about it. 
Well, I'll tell you, you know, as much as I do love softball and I like watching on TV, I'm going to try really hard over the course of my lifetime to see if we can get more women to actually play baseball because that would oh, be, yeah. that's something that I've, I've wanted to see my entire yeah, life. And yeah, I'm assuming that you grew up wanting to be a baseball yeah. player and kind of softball came a little bit later, am I right? Yes. See, and, and I like the fact you have softball, but I do think that it's a completely different sport. I think that comparing the two does a disservice to softball players. So. Yeah. If you could just tell me real quick, what was your earliest memory coming to a ballpark, either with your parents or, or your friends or, or anything like that? Um, I don't really remember. I just remember, like, I from the videos that I've seen, just playing in the front yard, throwing the ball with, with my dad. It just... No, when I'm, we came to here. Do you remember the first time we came here? Was she a baby? <laughs> it may have been too young. Okay. Oh, no, was she too young? young. Oh, well, okay. well, I mean, how many games do you get a chance to hear? Your dad was saying about once a year you get to come to a game. Sorry, can you just tell me one of your favorite memories of watching a game here at uh, Dodger Stadium? Uh, my dad, during batting practice, got me a ball, and I was just the ball right from them playing. Yeah, it's on my birthday. So That is so special. I'm going to tell you this right now. You look considerably younger than me. I've been going to games for about 25 years, and I never got a ball once. I got my first ball about three, uh, actually about a month ago at this point, and I felt like I w it was like the, a kid on Christmas morning. So the fact that you were able to get a ball on your birthday, I am super jealous of you. What happened, uh, what happened was that um, as soon as we got, we were on the reserve levels. It was her birthday. We came in. We were playing against the Phillies. And uh, at that time, uh, uh, Jason Worth, mm -hmm. not really good fan appreciation with uh, the Dodgers, what he did uh, the uh, year prior to him. So in, uh, as soon as we get up in there, we get on the uh, the ledge, and then uh, it was just like fate. As soon as um, as soon as we got there, there's a ball hit to Jason Worth, and then I uh, had whistled at him, and then I pointed to my daughter and I said, "It's her birthday," and uh, for some odd reason, he said, "Okay," pointed. The next ball that came to him her or to him he just flung it perfectly right on the ledge caught it just handed it to her thumbs up and it was just one of those moments to when you get there you're the first ones there as soon as it happened no nah, it was eight hey, hats off to the cat man that's awesome that's, that's beautiful it was, it was it was fantastic yeah, it was it was a good point, moment you didn't care about no. the problems with it worth was, you were just happy that he was a great guy to give her the ball no, it was it was, yeah. it was, uh, it was a touching moment her birthday coming in recognize him he sees high-end contact and it's like you know, I've been working in sports for, for the majority of my adult life, and i got to tell you, baseball players, more than, more than football, more than basketball, more than hockey, you know, regardless of what jersey you're wearing, it is amazing how much they take care of fans, you know, especially kids. It is crazy how, you know, they just, they will go out of their way to either sign something or, give them, or throw them a ball, just give them something special, which is something that doesn't really exist in football or basketball or hockey, at least to the level that it does in baseball. So. Yeah. I, we still got that ball now, and uh, to this day, like uh, how you asked, what's that one memory that you got? And obviously, on the, uh, on the point, a little hesitant, but uh, you can't really, it's like, it's your birthday. <laughs> All you want is a ball, and it high-end. Oh, yeah. No, I'm telling you, like I said, I, I, literally, 25 years. Every time I went to a game, I would go home disappointed. I, you have, I was running around, you know, my, basically jumping up and down with joy that I got this ball, and I'm a grown man, so it was really kind of ridiculous. No, I want a ball today.
We've been sitting here for how many hours? We better get a ball. All right, so I want to just wrap this up, and I want to get a couple of your kind of just favorite moments here uh, at Dodger Stadium. First, actually, if you could just give me your, your earliest memory here at Dodger Stadium and then follow that up with just, you know, what you think was is quintessentially Dodger baseball. If it is, maybe the incident you were talking about with Bonds, maybe it's something like that. I had two incidents. Uh, one was, uh, I'll tell, the, I'll tell the, the story with Bonds. And uh, basically, um, we're, we kept heckling, kept heckling when it was okay to heckle before the whole tech scene, there's somebody annoying with you. But it was all in clean fun. Sure. Um, and then somebody had thrown out the, the, the syringe. Oh, everybody oh. knew, you know what I mean? And everybody started <laughs> laughing, this and that. And you see it kind of like got to him. Didn't have good plate appearances. Nice. Uh, the second one was um, uh, Ricky Henderson. He was playing, I think, for the Padres at the time. And uh, the Dodgers were going back and forth with the, the Padres, and it came down to the last inning. And uh, once again, good, clean fun in heckling. And uh, we kind of got into his head because at the last minute, uh, ninth inning, uh, ball hit to him. I think we got into his head to where he straight missed the ball. Runner on second scored for the W. So there you go. That's, as, that's long being as, you, as long as you have good, clean, fun heckling, that's fine. That's what the game's all about. I agree. That's that's about that's being the home team. That's yes, the home field exactly. advantage. Now, as long as we don't condone throwing anything or exactly. any, and we got to be careful with the cursing and the, and the racial epithets yes. that sometimes get thrown around. But as long as it's good, clean, funny, you're just heckling and getting your head maybe razzing them about their batting average. The steroid stuff is completely on. Yeah. You know, at this point for the rest of his career, Ryan Braun is going to be screamed steroid is, stuff. The rest, and you know what? And he deserves every last second yeah, of it. Exactly. So believe me, that I'm on board. That's Which that's. I believe. Uh, I think. Matt Kemp deserves a National League uh, MVP. Yeah, you know what? I think I may agree with you. I don't know. It's, it's a tough question. It's, it's, it's hard. It's yeah. hard because if you do that for one, you kind of exactly you're, you're kind of opening everybody. Pandora's box but at that point. You know what? I think one point we I think we have to just put our foot down. And well, say, I'll tell you this. Uh, I'll tell you this. Basically, much like in my opinion, I know this is the opinion of some baseball fans, 61 is still the record. You know, yeah, Sosa, Maguire, and Bonds never existed. Yeah. However, okay, fine. I understand that technically speaking, 73 is the record. But I'll be teaching my children that 61 is the record until somebody cleanly beats that. Yeah. So you can tell, teach your kids that, you know what, in 2011, Matt Kemp won that MVP. Yeah. Which is true, uh, but the same thing, I don't take my, uh, I take my hats off to um, uh, McGuire because uh, him doing what he did, um, he was just looking for an edge. There's no... Uh, what is it, uh, standard at that point? Sure, no, I understand. You know what I mean? You always, that's like going to GNC and hitting the powder, this and that. It is what it is. You're looking for that edge, but uh, there's a fine line somewhere. But you know what? For me, the line, it, the line, the line is is way before Maguire. Maguire, to me, like I said, we can disagree on that. Yeah. Maguire jumped that line along no, with Sosa and Bond, because you're right. Because the problem is that as soon as you do start drawing the line somewhere, it then starts becoming. Because then basically what you'd start doing is you start defending the players that you happen to like and the ones that you don't, you're a little bit, you know, nastier to. Yeah. So, like, I actually used to like Sosa back in the day. I, it, it was very tough for me when, when I realized, you know what, i got to stop defending this guy. And at a certain point, it's, it's, if, you, if you did any of that, you're, you're, you're gone. In my, in my head, at least, you're, yeah. you're done. Yeah. So, and now for, for you, if I could hear some of your uh, uh, memories. My earliest memory was a Mother's Day game, but I saw Earl Hershiser pitch. Mm. Yeah. Carl yeah. That was oh. my earliest one. Little now, age. mind you, I didn't know the. Ram oh, does, yeah, sure, but you were there. That is yeah. amazing. So I remember that, and then my favorite memory, and it wasn't during the game. It was when we got to walk on the field. 
it was like magic walking on the field. His cousin played here and he let us go out on the field to go out the players exit on the field. And it was, it's something about walking on field. Dodger. Remember? Yeah, walking on back. there. It's like magic. It's chilled, yeah. Something with that field. Yeah, it was all magic. So that you said was your cousin cool. played for Sandy, no, I'm sorry, who? The, for the Padres? Yeah, he started with Seattle and then uh, he went to the Padres, moved on to, I think, uh, I want to say uh, the uh, Boston. What was his name? So my listeners can look him up. Uh, uh, Ramon Vasquez. I remember Ramon Vasquez. Yeah. Oh, that's your cousin. That's yeah. very cool. So we came back and uh, we just walked across center field and I told him, uh, just give me a second. And I turned around. <laughs> They're playing against the Dodgers. And, you know, you see the whole stadium in center field. And it's like, wow. Well, cause it's wow. It was just hard. wow. They always told us we weren't allowed. Like we'd go watch them play in in uh, San Diego. We weren't allowed to cheer for the Dodgers because we're sitting with the players. <laughs> I was like, that is the hardest thing. So we would sit there and just like lightly tap our legs, yeah. like yeah, and, let's go. And uh, what is it? Uh, you know, you always want to get a signature from somebody, but I then told, at that yeah. point, you know, you really don't. Yeah, if you're if you're an invited guest, you don't really want to bother anybody. But no, but you know what though, being on the field, I've told the story on this on the show before about my, uh, or maybe I haven't. I'll, I'll tell a little bit later about. Uh, my experience walking actually on Camden Yards, I was able to walk on the field oh, there and seeing in center field, once again, when you look towards home plate, yes. you feel like the smallest person on the planet. And you realize in that moment, oh my God, the guys that can throw a pee to home plate and throw someone out, you know, uh, play at the plate, it is just, it is mesmerizing to stand uh, out there. I could tell you, uh, well, I could one up you on, on there. Okay. And, and, that, and that is, how could you read a ball? Oh, you're absolutely right. How can oh, you read yeah. a ball with all that distraction behind there? Oh yeah, no, with the lights, with everything, jump. with with the no, I agree exactly. with you. It's it look they make it look so ridiculously yes. easy on TV, but I mean, as soon as you're standing on the even stand, sitting front row, you know, at the ballpark doesn't do it justice it until just, you're standing yeah. on the field yeah. and looking. It looks like it's a mile away. It just it looks everything looks so and tiny. To, and, to, and to read a ball off the bat from center field. Yeah, yeah no. when they're when they're in a AAA whatever the field you know, the stands ain't as big. Uh -huh. Yes, it's a little bit easier. High school ball, college, whatever, you still could read the ball easy. But when you get on that big field, man, whoo. All right, so we're going to wrap this up. Oh, oh, please. Oh, this is, and this is your son, and your, your name is? Antonio. All right, thanks, Antonio. Uh, the one thing that no other stadium has is Dodger dogs. <laughs> That's what I've been told. I need to have me a Dodger dog here. They have the best food here. Carl's Jr. and the Dodger Dogs, they're delicious. Oh, here, you know, real quick, I, I feel like I ignored you. So tell me, what was your favorite memory of coming to a game here? Uh, well, I, I don't have a specific memory, but I've always remembered just coming here with my family and just hanging out and watching the game. That's what baseball is all about. Once again, the only sport where it's still family entertainment, where you can bring the entire crew and actually enjoy yourself. American baseball. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you thank taking the time to talk to me today. Nice Appreciate meeting you guys. And that is going to bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Rounding Third podcast. I want to thank the Almost family and Richard Price for chatting with me before and during the game and just sharing with me some, some great stories about their time at Dodger Stadium. Any apprehension I had about Los Angeles baseball fans or any really negative thoughts that I had about the Southern California fan base was just completely evaporated thanks to these wonderful Dodger fans. They were loud. They were crazy. They were intense. They were passionate. It was a lot of fun. When this tour is all said and done, I'm not sure where I'm going to be living next. 
You know, as I've mentioned on previous podcasts, at this point, I'm a man without a country. I left my apartment on May 28th. I've been living out of my car for the last couple of months here. And when it's all done, I don't know where I'm going to be living. I had never really considered the West Coast before, but I'm ready to admit that I may have been wrong about our left coast friends. To be completely honest with you, aside from the weather, I just can't get over how amazing 10 a.m. baseball is. But it's time for me to say goodbye to the Pacific time zone as I'm about to head east to Minnesota and a 30-hour trek across this great country of ours. So with that, as always, I need to thank Blake White for the theme music. Did a wonderful job creating my intro and outro song, so thank you for that, Blake. Icarus Ronan for all things web-related. Krishna Jane for the photo editing. My mom, I'm so glad you were able to come and join me, and hopefully we'll be able to do this again sometime soon. And I want to thank all of you for joining me for yet another episode of the podcast. If you have any questions for me, shoot me an email at roundingthirdpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can check out the site at roundingthird.net where you can see write-ups and photos of all the stadiums I've been to thus far. And please uh, follow me at Twitter. I'm at roundingthirdmj on Twitter. That's roundingthird and then my initials MJ. So join me next time as I continue to round third, heading for home. Third with Manish Jane.